All right, Psalm 78 and verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Which we've heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. Showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord. And his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. So the writer there is leveling a few charges against some unfaithful fathers of the people. And then notice also in verse 19, Yea, they spake Against God, they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? This psalm, along with Psalm 77, contrasts the wonderful works of God with the habitual unfaithfulness, disobedience, and unbelief of God's people. So my text deals with Israel under the Old Testament God's people in the Old Testament, but it also applies to God's people in the New Testament, the church. We're guilty of unbelief in the 21st century too. And we we may not speak against God, like it says in verse 19, yea, they spake against God, but we often doubt His ability to work in our lives. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this message this morning. I thank you for this church. I thank you for some people down there in that Asbury school who didn't doubt your ability to work in their lives. But God, they believed that you could do something even now, even in the 21st century. Father, I pray that that would spread. And I pray, Father, that you'd do something for our church too. I pray that you'd turn it around. Lord, make us people of faith, not people of doubt. And Lord, I pray that you just have your will and your way with this message. Lord, we lift up these prayer requests to you. And we, we, we lift them up. You know the names. You know their situation. You know their hearts, whether or not they're saved. I pray for their salvation if they're not saved, Father. pray that you'd frustrate the works of the devil in their lives. Give them deliverance. Give them healing. Give them answers that they need medically, financially. pray that you'd bless. pray that you'd comfort those that are mourning. And I pray today that if there's one here today that's not saved, Lord, they don't know for sure that if they died, that they'd go to heaven. There's a chance that they might die and miss you for eternity, be eternally lost in hell. 
I pray that that soul would be saved. Lord, I pray now that you'd just give me the words. Help me to be sensitive to your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, our youth ministry in Antiquity Baptist Church is, is slowly growing. Um, I'm the pastor here, and I'm also the youth pastor for right now. God has put a burden on my heart about doing something for the young people in this church. And, you know, if you don't know it, we're growing a youth group. Um, one of them sitting right here, and there's a few of them sitting back there. We're growing a youth group. They're going to be teenagers before we know it. And we have a responsibility to do something for them, don't we? We've got to minister to souls at every age and at every level of growth. Kids need help these days. There's so much against kids in this world. They need help, and we're the ones. We're the generation. God has called us to do this. But I've got to admit, you know, my faith has been weak. My faith has been small in this area. And just to give you an example, yesterday I was leaving the house, and Beth and I were uh, haranguing the kids and getting them into the car and uh, coming over here. And just before we left... I found out that Lucas broke my glove box in the exploder. I mean the explorer that I, that I have. He broke my glove box. So I'm just like, okay, that happened. We better get in the car and get going, you know. We're going to be late if we don't go. So we get here, and uh, I'm thinking, coming up the road, I'm telling, telling Beth, I was like, kids aren't behaving. I was like, I think they shouldn't even go. They should stay home. And, uh, and I'm pulling up the drive, and I'm thinking, there's nobody going to be here. We're going to have like two or three people up here. We just canceled the whole thing. You know, this is what's going through my mind. This is the devil trying to say, quit, quit, quit. And uh, I get up here, and to my amazement, it was a pleasant surprise. There's several cars up here. People just keep getting out of cars. Another car pulls up. And we, we got our bus out here that Tony's been working hard on. He's got it running like a top. And, and it's all uh, legal and everything. Just had the inspection done. And the guy doing the inspection says, you have a really nice bus. And, and so I wonder what kind of buses and vans he's in, inspecting. But uh, he says, we've got a nice bus, you know. And, and we start putting kids into the bus, you know. I get it opened up. And, you know, we don't have enough room in that bus. We had to take a couple of cars with us to get everybody in there, the kids and the adult helpers. They wouldn't all fit in there. What a blessing. Amen. And it was like the Lord saying to me, and you thought there was going to be what, how many? Two or three? And the Lord just filled up the bus. And that's exactly what came to my mind. The Holy Spirit said, oh, ye of little faith. You know? We, folks, I think we, we lack faith for what God wants to do in this church, not only in this church, we lack faith for what God wants to do in our families. And we lack faith for what God wants to do individually through our ministries. Everybody here has a ministry. It's not just me. It's not just the youth ministry. There are many other ministries going on here. Everyone is in the ministry. And we lack faith for what God wants to do in our lives. And we're going to learn something about that because that's a real deal breaker. We don't have faith. And the thrust of my message today is found in verse 19, the second half. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? The believing heart says yes. He absolutely can. I was reaching, reading a sermon by uh, Dr. Shelton Smith. He's the editor of The Sword of the Lord. And uh, I read this text and God got, he gripped my heart with this text on Saturday morning before coming here. So all these things are starting to add up. 
And uh, it was a good message. He had a lot of good things to say. I wrote my own message on this text. And uh, there may be something that God wants to do in your life, but your unbelief is blocking the blessing. There could be something that God wants to do in your ministry, but your faithlessness limits His fruitfulness. Israel said, can God? They should have said, God can. That's my first point. They should have said, God can. You and I must believe that God can. That's the way it starts. You see, we come into this thing, we must come into it with the faith, believing that God can do anything. He can do anything that He's called us to. He can make it happen. You know, I used to uh, volunteer with a, a fair ministry called Amazing Grace Fair Ministries. And I went out one summer in my own county and worked at this little tent. And uh, there was a stand there and, and it said on it, three things that God cannot do. And you had three doors and you, and you opened up the door to show people one at a time. And without fail, you'd always have somebody come up. Every day, you'd have somebody come up and say, uh, there's nothing that God cannot do. You know? And I appreciated their faith. And I appreciated that testimony. But listen, then you'd open up the door one by one. you say, look, uh, God cannot lie. And they say, oh, well, okay, yeah, okay. All right, and door number two. Uh, God cannot change. He's immutable. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And they say, well, okay, all right, you got me. There's two things. And then you open up the third door, and you open up that door, and it says, God cannot allow sin into heaven. And then you go from there and you show them the poster that's up. I mean, it's a good ministry. Show them the poster that's up on the back of the tent. And it says, are you, if you died today, are you 50%, 75%, or 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Or is there some doubt? And you talk to people and just look at them. <laughs> just wait for them to answer. They're thinking, man, I just stopped here two minutes ago. How, on, how in the world did you get me into this situation where now I've got to talk about whether or not I'm going to heaven or not? But it's good, man. It, just, it got people's attention. And, and you just sit there and just listen. And they'd say, well, I think I'm about 50% sure. Some of the more hopeful ones would be like, I don't know, maybe 75 or better. And you tell them, listen, anything less than 100% means you don't have it settled. You don't know for sure. And the Bible says that you can know. Would you sit down with me? I'll take a Bible and show you. And if you're interested, I'll show you what God's Word says about it so that you can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. And a lot of times people would sit down. Sometimes they would do something about it right there and pray and ask Jesus to save them. Other times they'd want just to think about it. And you'd give them some tracks as they left. Let me ask you that question this morning. Are you 50%, 75%, or 100% sure that you'll go to heaven when you die? If you can't say honestly in your heart of hearts that you're 100% sure, you don't have it settled. You can get it settled today. God's plan of salvation is simple, easy enough for a child to understand. God will save anybody and can save anybody. He is able. God can save you. I don't care what you've done. Amen. He can save you. Today, you can get it settled. So uh, I appreciated those people who said, there's nothing that God can't do. And you know what? <clears throat> They're right. There's nothing that God can't do in the life of a believer to turn a situation Around. Look at what God did for Israel in verses 12, leading up to my text. Look at verse 12. Marvelous things did He in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt. Think of all those things that God did in Egypt. In the field of Zoan, He divided the sea 
caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand up as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud, and the night with the light of fire. He claved the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink. God provided drink out in the middle of a barren desert. You know, when I was on my trip to Israel, I didn't get to see the Sinai Peninsula where they were, but I got to see the land around the Dead Sea. And let me tell you, it is a wilderness. It is barren. It makes you wonder, how do they grow anything out there? God has blessed the Jews and blessed that land so that you can drive down that road and you've got a desert, just a crumbling mountainous heap on one side and on the other side, the Dead Sea, which is a salt sea. And then you see these huge uh, farms of palm trees, date palms. And uh, they got their irrigation tubes run all out of there and, and they're growing these things. I mean, just thousands of these trees and you see the way that they're taking this, this, this area and cultivating it, the Jews, and nothing was happening with it when it, when, when it was under the control of the Arabs before them. But, but what they were able to do, but I, I was walking out in there, and we were going up into the, the, the mountains of En Gedi where David hid from Saul, and, and uh, walking up through these trails, and man, it was just so hot. And I'm a tourist, and I'm driving around in an air-conditioned car, and I'm thinking, I'm getting dehydrated, I can tell. I'm getting kind of clammy, you know, and, and I'm sweating, and I'm, and, uh, you know, I'm getting, feeling a little bit lightheaded, got to drink enough water. And, and listen, uh, I, I like to look cool, if all possible. I know I'm getting older, and it's like the chances of that happening are, are going down. But I don't like to look like a weirdo when I'm out in public. I mean, I've kind of reached the age of I don't care, but there's still a little bit of fight in there somewhere where I just want to still somewhat look attractive to my wife. But listen, walking around in that barren wilderness I got so hot, I didn't even care anymore, and I bought the biggest, weirdest looking hat with like this big rim around the front, you know, it's all shade up front, and this thing that hung down my neck in the back, and it's going to make a great lawn mowing hat. But anyways, I was so hot, man, I didn't want to fall out by the way, and I want to be protected from that sun. It's rough out there. They didn't have any water to drink, and God provided water miraculously. Not one time, not two times, as much as what they needed it from the rocks. I walked up that path that led to the caves where they believed David was. And, and at the end of that path, after climbing that mountainous trail, there was a, a waterfall. I, I don't know where it came from. Out of nowhere, a waterfall coming down. And I and, uh, got a picture of Beth standing underneath that waterfall with her hands in the water. And, and it uh, was refreshing to get there. And to get underneath that water and put your, take your shoes off and put your toes in there. Listen, God provided for Israel in the wilderness. He brought streams also out of the rock, caused waters to run down like rivers. They sinned yet more against Him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God. But look at what God did for Israel in the past. That's what He was trying to say to the fathers. Look what God has done in the past. The same God that did those things is able to work for us today. And think of what God has done for us in the New Testament. Think of God's amazing book. Will you be patient with me as I read kind of a lengthy reading? But this is going to bless your socks off. This is what we get on Wednesday night. We can do things like this more on Wednesday night. And I've given this to our church once, but I want to give it again, just part of it. Think of what God has done in giving us this amazing book. Some of you think that this was written by men. Stories passed down from one generation to another just to bring cohesion to a nation or to 
to teach people uh, stories of faith and belief in God. And no, it's not written by men. This is God's book. Amen. God wrote this book. I'm going I'm to show you how. A man at Westmont College, Professor Peter W. Stoner, calculated the probability of one man fulfilling the major prophecies concerning the Messiah. That is, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament said that when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, shows up, this is what he's going to do. This is what's going to happen. And this is how he's going to die. All these prophecies that the Bible has, 48 of them in the Old Testament. You know what? You won't find that in the Quran. You won't find that in any of the Eastern religions in their writings. You won't find that in any other so-called holy book. The only book you'll find that in is in the Bible. But you don't want to hear that, do you? Because men love darkness rather than light. Because if this is the word of God, then that means that there's a God up there. And that means that I'm accountable to him. And that means at the end of my life, I've got to give an account for my wickedness. And we don't want to think about that. We want to do what we want to do without any accountability. But this is the Word of God. And prophecies prove it. You know, 25 of those 48 prophecies were completely out of Jesus' control, humanly speaking. The estimates were worked out by 12 different classes, university students. Altogether, about 600 of them. The students carefully weighed all the factors, discussed each prophecy at length, examined the various circumstances which might indicate that men had conspired together to fulfill some prophecy in their Old Testament. They made their estimates conservative enough, and uh, this man, Peter Stoner, made them even more conservative as the professor when he got a hold of their work, just so that no one would have any doubt as to the trustworthiness of their work. He also encouraged other skeptics or scientists to make their own estimates to see if his conclusions were more than fair. Professor Stoner was the chairman of the departments of mathematics and astronomy of Pasadena College and chairman of the science division at Westmont College. In his book, Science Speaks, he outlines the mathematical probability of one person in the first century fulfilling just eight of those 48 prophecies. Would you like to hear what the chances are? Do you know what the chances are that if you play the lottery and throw away a bunch of your money in there? You know what the chances are of you winning the, the Ohio lottery? That's what we're talking about. Mathematical chances. Alright, so this is scientific. After examining only eight prophecies, he estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling eight prophecies was one in ten to the 17th power. That's 10 with 17 zeros behind it. One. In that number. To illustrate how large the number 10 to the 17th power is, the professor gave this illustration. If you mark one of 10 tickets, say you take a ticket and you mark it, so that is different than all the other tickets, and then he said, if you put them into a hat, stir them up thoroughly, then ask a blindfolded man to draw one. His chance of getting the right ticket is one in ten, right? We can understand that. Suppose you were to take ten to the 17th power. Take that many, not tickets this time, but silver dollars. Suppose you were lay, to lay the silver dollars on the face of Texas. They'll cover all the state Two feet deep. Are you hearing me? If you think that this book was written by men, I'm about ready to blow your theory out of the water. Two feet deep, silver dollars. He said, if you take that and then mark one 
silver dollar. Put it anywhere in the state of Texas. Then blindfold a man, tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he has to stop and pick up one silver dollar. The chances of that man picking up the right one is the same chances that the prophets had of making eight prophecies that could be fulfilled in the life of one man. He didn't just fulfill eight. He fulfilled 48, 25, completely out of a man's control, humanly speaking. So in case you're questioning whether Professor Stoner's math was wrong, H. Harold Hartzler, Ph.D. of the American Scientific Affiliation, Goshen College, writes in the foreword of Stoner's book, and I quote, The manuscript for Science Speaks has been carefully reviewed by a committee of American Scientific Affiliation by the members of that committee and by the executive council of the same group and has been found in general to be dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. The mathematical analysis included is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound And Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. You trust science, do you? Listen to what those scientists, the executive council, listen to what they're saying. It's convincing, they said. The professor concludes, if any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God, he is rejecting a fact, proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. In the world. That's what makes this Bible God's book for skeptics and unbelievers. It's fulfilled prophecies. Look what God did for us. Is there anything that God cannot do? God can become a man. Walk among men. Do miracles. He did so many miracles. Everybody knew about Jesus. He healed so many people. Everybody, everybody who lived in the first century and lived around Israel or Galilee in the north or Judea in the south or in Samaria, literally everybody knew somebody in their family that got healed as a result of Jesus' ministry. If God can become a man and then lay down His life on a cross... To bear our sins in his own body on the tree. To take the penalty for our sins. To be buried and then to rise again from the dead. Victorious as a savior. Willing to save anybody. Willing to give you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If God can do that, there's nothing that God cannot do in your life. If you'd only believe. Don't be guilty of speaking against God and... Tempting God in your heart, verse 18, with unbelief. Israel tempted God and asked, can God furnish a table? (laughs) I can say, God can do anything. God can do anything. You know, you look at verses 20 through 25. He smote the rock that the waters gushed out. The The streams overflowed. 
Can he give bread also, is what Israel was saying. Can God feed us? He, yeah, he gave us water, but can he feed us? They're thinking they're going to starve. Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth, because they doubted. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. God can do anything. If God is leading you to do something in your life, listen, God will provide for you. Do you see that in the context? God was leading them out of Israel, out of Egypt, through the wasteland of of that barren Sinai Peninsula, leading them up into Canaan land, the promised land. God was leading them and God provided for them all the way. Do you see that? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What has God called you to do? What has God led you to do? Where is He taking you in your life? Listen, God can provide for you the whole way. I know how it is as men. We wonder, what's going to happen to my spouse? It's not so much what happens to me when I die. I heard somebody very wise say that recently. It's a very selfless thing to say. And it's a mark of somebody who really cares about somebody else. And they said, I'm not so much worried about that, but I'm worried about... My spouse, my significant other. Listen, wherever God takes you, God will provide for you. And He'll provide for your ministry. That means that God will provide for my ministry to my wife. If God were to take me out of this world, that's His prerogative. He can do that. He's God. But He will take care of my wife and take care of my children. I have to believe that. God can do anything. Those who have tried God's promises have found Him able. Listen, He will provide strength in your weakest moments. In the moments when you just feel like, I can't go on, or I can't do this, this is too much for me. I'm overburdened, it's too heavy, I can't carry it. And I'm tempted to turn to the flesh and the things of the world for comfort, and to be soothed. Listen, God can provide strength in your weakness. If you only ask Him for help. If you'll search for it like somebody who's thirsty and is searching for water. If you'll hunger for it like somebody who hasn't had a bite to eat in a few days. And hunger after God's help. He will help you. Those who have tried God and tried His promises have found Him able. He can provide healing for your hurts. You know, we get hurt in this world. We get skinned up. People will take a chunk out of our hide in this life. Listen, God is the only one that can provide healing for your hurts today. You heard me give my testimony about my brother and what he's going through with his wife and the way that he's watched her life. Just so much suffering and pain with the cancer and everything. And my brother said to me, talking to me, he said, the only one that can help me is Jesus. No one else can help. Nobody can give me advice. There's nothing that anybody can say that's just going to make it all better. He said, no one can help me but Jesus. When people are hurting, we have to point them to the Lord because He's the only one that can heal. He's the only one that can heal. He can provide forgiveness for your failures. I don't care what you've done. If you come to Jesus Christ and you say, I believe on you, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died, you were buried, and you rose again the third day. And when you died, you paid the penalty for my sins. All of them. I believe you'll forgive me. I believe you'll give me eternal life. And you know He'll do it. 
He can provide forgiveness for your failures as a Christian. I trusted Jesus as my Savior, and I know that I stand before Him being justified. All my sins are canceled out. Judicially, I stand before a holy God with a gavel in His hand who could bring that gavel down and say, Depart from me, ye cursed. But I'm no longer cursed. I'm under the blood. I'm in Christ. I'm seated already in heavenly places. My body's just not there yet. Amen. I'm seated in heavenly places. Look, I couldn't get any more saved than what I'm saved right now. But as I go through this world, I get involved in sin and it blocks my fellowship, my relationship with God. And I feel like I've blown it so many times. I just feel like I'm never going to measure up. You talk about walking in the spirit. I gave up on that a long time ago. It's not going to happen for me. I'm just going to be somebody who's just struggling through life. For Listen, yeah, we're going to struggle with sin for the rest of our lives. But God can forgive all your failures. And if you see a brother taken in a fault, you're supposed to go to him with that hope saying, listen, God will restore you. You can be received back into the church. It doesn't matter what you've done. You can be restored. You might not be able to have a ministry that you had previously, depending on the circumstances, but you can be restored and God can still use you and still bless you. His grace is greater than our sin. Have you ever read the book of Romans? Romans 5 and 6, where sin abounded, listen, take it into your heart, drink it in. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Do you believe that? Oh my, sin has abounded in my life. And you know, I was so broken over it and I felt like I'd let the Lord down and, and I'd struggled. And, and I thought, can God do anything with me? And I read that, that verse and my brother once again pointed me to it. He said, listen, John Paul, he said, where grace abounded. Sin did much more abound. Or grace much more abound. Grace can overcome. God has forgiveness for your failures. You know, God took a, an old man who'd been backslidden on the backside of the desert for 40 years and used him to lead his people out of Egypt. A backslidden preacher who tried to take things into his own hands when he was 40 years old and made a mess of it. Spent 40 years just thinking he blew it. They'll never follow me. They'll never listen to me. That's what he said to God when God spoke to him. And God used that man. Listen, God can use you. Do you believe it? Love for the lonely heart. Someone who's been broken. And, and someone who's been hurt by, by a, a, another person in their life. And left, left solitary and left alone. God can provide love. Provide somebody who's faithful to love you. If you let him do it. Do you believe it? God will provide help for your home life. God will provide deliverance from debt. God can provide freedom in your finances. God can provide manpower, money, and more for this ministry right here if we'll believe Him for it. If God has called us to do something here as a church, and He has, God has all the manpower we need. God has all the money. God doesn't go broke. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the, and the minerals in the hills. You know what I'm talking about there. God hasn't run out of money. You know what happens? We run out of faith. We, we, we get content. We say, this is what I want to do. I just want to stay here. I don't want to do anything more. I don't want to grow anymore. I don't want to reach anymore. I, I'm just content to just be right here, be faithless and unbelieving and sit on this, this, this chair here and just soak and sour and just be pickled and... No, no. You've got to have the faith to believe that God has more for us here. Church, I hope you do. 
I hope you have the faith this morning to believe that God wants to do more through this ministry. Do you think God wants to do less? Just ask yourself that question. Think God say, let's, let's wind it down. I want to do less through Antiquity Baptist Church. No, God wants to do more. God wants to give us souls for our Savior. If, if we just said, if we just prayed as a church, Lord, give us another soul. Bring somebody in here who's just ready to get saved and use our little church, use our gospel ministry here to bring somebody else to Jesus Christ. To bring a family member, a child, whatever. Lord, I believe that you're able. I believe you want to use us to bring lost people to Christ. I believe that there are people out there who are lost that are ready to be saved. And your spirit has been working on their hearts, convincing them of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. And they're ready to be saved and they just need somebody to tell them how to do it. If you just say that, I mean, I've, I've done that consistently since I started serving the Lord. I just said, Lord, give me somebody who's ready, ripe fruit. And he does it. And sometimes I forget that I prayed it. And he does it. God can use us. God's called us to reach the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God wants to use us to do more than what we've ever done before. But he won't unless we believe that he's still able. One time Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that great preacher of London... One of the, seriously, one of the greatest preachers this world has ever seen. If you don't know about Charles Spurgeon, what are you doing with your free time? What do you know about that doesn't matter? If you don't know about him, man, you ought to look into Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Learn about his life. There's videos on Prime Video. I mean, you could learn about it. Anyways, he said to a man one time, he said, uh, he said, uh, the, the, the man was from a small struggling church and the man said, uh, he was complaining. He said, I, you preach, you preach and people get saved all the time. He said, I preach and I preach and I preach my heart out and nobody ever gets saved. And Charles Spurgeon was so witty. He said, well, you don't believe that people are going to get saved, do you? And he said, well, no, not really. And he said, that's your problem. That's your problem. You don't believe that people are going to get saved. The Lord doesn't bless unbelief. He blesses belief and faithfulness. So lastly... Israel asked this question, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And you already know what I'm going to say. God can do anything he wants to do, anywhere, anytime. That means God can do it right here in Little Racine, Ohio. Not just back here in the Old Testament. Listen, God can do it up here in the New Testament. God can do it all the way up here in the 21st century, right before Jesus is getting ready to come back. God can bring revival to this church. Souls saved, new life, a, a good functioning youth ministry. Yeah, a little church like this, we can do a youth ministry. Listen, it's not whether can we. We've got to do it. Amen. We've got to do it. Yeah. And we've got to believe that God can do it through us. God can do anything, anywhere, anytime. But Israel doubted God. And look, they, they actually limited God. Scripture says it in verse 41. They limited God by their unbelief. Yea, though they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. What a thing. To limit omnipotence. To limit Almighty God. But God, He ties Himself to this. To our unbelief. 
He will allow himself to be limited if we are faithless and unbelieving. You know, I was sitting on the couch the other day, and it was actually uh, yesterday morning. And I was doing my daily Bible reading, you know, reading through our, our church's Bible reading schedule. And if you don't have one, they're, they're still up there in the track rack. You can start any time. You know, you can start today and just read all the way through the year till, till next year this time. But I was reading the reading for the day, and there were a couple of chapters in the book of Numbers, and then there was a passage in Mark's Gospel. And, and you know what? It's just amazing sometimes how these things come together. I was reading in the book of Numbers that the Lord would have fought for His people. You know, He sent the 12 spies into Canaan, and uh, 10 came back with an evil report, and 2 came back with a good report, you know. God would have fought for His people, and they could have gone in to possess the land, but God didn't. What was the problem? Unbelief. And then, I'm not making this up, I read in the New Testament, our New Testament reading, in the the Gospel of Mark, in the sixth chapter, and Jesus was in his hometown, and he says, the prophet's not without honor, except among his own people, you know, in so many words. And then it says that Jesus could do no mighty works, because of their unbelief. So he could have healed everybody in his hometown, but he didn't. He didn't. He could do no mighty work there, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. He couldn't do a mighty work. It says he could do no mighty work. Why? Because of their unbelief. Listen, God can bless you right now where you are and then take you to where he wants you to be, but he won't. He won't if you doubt his person and his power. Israel doubted God. And doubted that he was able to provide for them. Listen, folks. Let's not worry about the money. Let's not worry about the money for the ministries that we have. God will provide for whatever he wants us to do. He'll provide. I want, I want to take the young people. Um, I want to take them. And I don't say kids. If you wonder why I say young people all the time, I'm just going to spill the beans. I don't say kids because I don't want to put... The younger people down. I don't want to just say you're just kids. Because you're not just kids. God can do a mighty work through you. Might have said David was just a boy. That's what they said to him. So I try not to put them down that like that. I just try to say young people or our youth. But I, I want to take them yearly to go to the Creation Museum. Or, or the Ark. I want to take them to go on monthly trips. You know, I want to take them zip lining, Do stuff like that canoeing, whatever. Um, go, go to a rifle range and shoot some shotguns and stuff like that. I want to take them to camp. We're going to take that bus down to camp, Lord willing. Uh, I want to take them to go to youth rallies. Two or three of them a year. I want to take them to, to VBS. I want to have a VBS here. You say, Where all that, where's all that money going to come from? God. God will provide it. It's his ministry. He will provide for his ministry. He just needs willing workers. We've got the workers. We've got the bus. It's just like God saying, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I'm not a youth pastor here. Guess what? You know, if this church were to grow and could support uh, or have uh, means for... You know, a second guy, usually around 75 or 100 people is a good time to call a second guy. He could come and work, uh, you know, just voluntary 
and uh, somehow get him some employment in this area, take care of his family, let him work voluntary, and let him be the, the youth pastor here. And I know that's what churches, you guys are familiar with that. It's a good plan. It's a good setup. Um, I can't do all this stuff like I'd like it to be done. But, you know, God can provide that manpower. But maybe he's trying to see what we're going to do with what we've been given already. You know, Israel tempted God in their hearts. I want you to think of that. The Holy Spirit's trying to point out the trouble was heart trouble. Their heart wasn't right with God. Is your heart right with God? If I say those things and you start thinking, yeah, but those teenagers aren't going to turn out right. You know it. They're going to walk as soon as they turn 18. Listen, your heart's not right with God. God help you. God help you. That's between them and the Lord, what they do. I'm talking about our responsibility right here. Just because that's what happens to kids, does that mean I should stop raising children? Just give up? No, it's heart trouble. Got to get your heart right with God. Does God care about them? Did Jesus die for them too? Yes. And I could doubt God in, in my heart, and no one else would ever know it. Think about that. It's a sin that can go on in here that really no one else would know unless they got close to you. But God knows, and God deals with us accordingly. Would you stand to your feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? We'll have a word of prayer and sing our last song. You know, God may be calling you to do something, but you're doubting Him. I want to say, don't doubt. Trust. Believe. Believe that what He's calling you to do, He will provide all that you need to do it. Believe that He will equip you. He will develop you. He will make you the person. You might not be able to see yourself as the person who is doing that thing that you believe God is calling you to do. You might not be able to see yourself that way, but God can, and God can do it. So is there something in your heart where you're doubting the Lord? I want you to just get your heart right with God this morning. I I don't know what it could possibly be. I don't know anything that's going on or anything like that. But if there's something in your heart where you're doubting the Lord, maybe with health, I talked about freedom in your finances, talked about whether or not God can do it again in this generation with a church and a, and a thriving, thriving church and thriving evangelistic church. Maybe strength in your weakest moments, healing for your hurts, forgiveness, struggling whether God can forgive you, that God can help your home life. Do you ever get serious about praying and say, God, I need help? Fasting and praying. God, I need help and wait for Him to help you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Are you saved today? You know it in your heart. You know if you're saved. You say, what's that mean? It means to be saved from the penalty of sin. And if you were to die in your sins, you'd be lost forever. No second chances. No coming back. You're lost. Are you saved today? Or would you say, no preacher, right now as I stand here, I'm not saved. I guess I'm lost. According to the Bible. I'd like you to raise your hand this morning if you're saved. Would you put your hand up to the praise of God and say, I know that I'm saved. I know that I know. Alright, you can put your hands down. Isn't God a mighty Savior? Isn't He a wonderful Savior? But not everybody could raise their hands. And that's between me and you and the Lord. I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And it's not the prayer that saves, but it's belief. 
in Jesus that saves. The Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. If you can pray this, I want you to pray along with me as far as you can go. And if you can't pray it, then you just don't do it. Because God knows whether or not it's real in your heart. Could you pray to God and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that if I died right now in my sins, that I wouldn't go to heaven. But I believe that Jesus paid the penalty for my sins on the cross. I believe that He was buried and He rose again the third day. I believe that Jesus, as the Son of God, has the power to forgive my sins and the power to save my soul. And the best way I know right now, I'm just believing that Jesus, that you'll do it for me. Jesus, be my Savior. Give me eternal life. I don't want to go to hell. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these that are here. God, I thank you for salvation, full and free. You make it so easy for us to get saved. You did all the heavy lifting. You did all the hard work. All we have to do is believe. Lord, I pray for, for us here, Lord, that we'd not be faithless, but believing. God, I pray for our church family. I pray for the ministries that you've called us to. I pray for the ministry of this church. And Lord, the ministries in our individual lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, everywhere that we go. I pray that you'd increase our faith. Help us to walk in the Spirit. Help us to be in the Word of God. Help us to look to you for help in times of trouble, in times of need. This I pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen.